As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics' new ACC podcast. I'm Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football writer for the Athletic and the host of Atlantic and Coastal. Thank you for everybody for coming back to the podcast. Uh, we've been getting good numbers, good feedback on our Apple feeds, our Spotify feeds. Uh, we just ask if you go there, give us a rating, uh, give us a five star rating. We like those. We like the good ratings. We'll take the other ratings too, but we like the five star ratings. Uh, this helps us get other listeners, helps us get the word out with stuff. We really appreciate the feedback on stuff like that. It is a big game week, finally, in the ACC. Number one, Clemson at number four, Notre Dame. We thought we had a big game earlier this year. Uh, we had Miami playing at Clemson. It turns out uh, maybe the Hurricanes quite aren't quite up to that level. Uh, Clemson beat them down pretty good. This one I think we have looked at for a while. Uh, this is one we've circled on the calendar for a while. Uh, Grace Rayner, our Clemson beat writer, will join us this week to talk about that game, break it down. Uh, after we do that, we're going to kind of whip around the ACC as well, look at, at some of the other big games. So stick around after the interview. We, we're not going to neglect the rest of the ACC, but when a, there's a game this big, it's a primetime game, national game. Everybody's going to be watching. We certainly want to get uh, the insight uh, from the people who will be covering that kind of thing. So without further ado, we welcome back to the show. Third time, three-time guest already. Clearly, she's our favorite guest that we've ever had on the podcast uh, Grace Rayner, our Clemson writer. Grace, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, three times, man. I like the sound of that. That's awesome. The three-timer club. You're almost going to be in the five-timer club. There was like an old Saturday Night Live skit where they had the five-timers that had hosted. It was like Tom Hanks and Steve Martin and all that. So we're, we'll have like a special club with like a velvet rope <laughs> that you're behind that you'll come in once we hit five times here. Uh, interesting times on the Clemson beat all of a sudden. Every time I talk to you, I'm like, man, how boring is this team to cover? There's nothing going on. They win every game by 30 points. There's no drama. And now all you've had in the last week is drama and, and a big game coming up. How exciting has this been for you to cover some stuff that's really been interesting? Man, yeah. I mean, this is probably the craziest um uh... Yeah, I would say the craziest week I've, I've maybe ever had on the Clemson beat. And uh, this is my fourth season just because, 
you know, we all know that the pandemic is, is something that every school is dealing with. And all of a sudden Clemson's trucking along and things seem to be going well. And then boom, Trevor Lawrence gets it. And all of a sudden it's time for Clemson's five-star freshman to start running the show. So a very interesting week to say the least. Well, three bits of news here. Trevor Lawrence tests positive for COVID-19. He's out for 10 days, misses the Boston College game. He's going to be out for Notre Dame this week as well. Uh, the Tigers escape with a win against Boston College at home, 34-28. to 28. And then after that, the game we're going to talk about, the, this huge Notre Dame matchup coming up. Let's start with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, obviously, surprising news. I mean, maybe not so surprising. But in this day and age, I think anybody getting it, it it's not going to completely shock you. But to have a name like that, the Heisman frontrunner, uh, most likely, uh, how did the team react to this? What was the reaction within Clemson, uh, you know, losing this guy midweek? I mean, it, it's, it's a couple of days before this game took place. Yeah. So, I mean, DJ Uyunglele, who's going to be the starter heading into Notre Dame, he said he was just, you know, he had gotten a text message saying that, you know, the coaches wanted to see him. Um, and, and Dabo came into the film room and shut the door and told him what was going on. And he said he had no clue. And I think that that is probably the sentiment that a lot of Clemson guys felt just you know, shock. I mean, this is, this is the biggest name in college football and not that the virus cares about that, but this is Trevor Lawrence. And, and this, this all went down on Thursday before the Boston college game. So it was a very fast turnaround. It was around one in the afternoon when it all came down. And so I think after the initial shock set in, there was this, okay, well, the, the clock is ticking. Uh, let's figure out what we're going to do. The game plan at that point was really already set so DJ had one practice and a walkthrough to uh, to get ready to roll. So I think it went from, you know, immediate reaction to, all right, let's figure out how we're still going to win this game. You know, it was a close game. Uh, Clemson doesn't play too many of those. Uh, how interesting was it see, to, to see the Tigers play a close game? And, and obviously they responded well at the end, but uh, do you think this is a team that was a little bit knocked off its more uh, bearings at the start of the game? I mean, there's no Trevor Lawrence on the field, but he doesn't play defense. I mean, that, that defense had some problems as well. Uh, what did you see out of Clemson early on? And, and do you think they were a little bit shaken by this whole thing? That was the part that I think surprised me the most is, I mean, obviously we were all curious what was DJ going to look like and, and how is this offense going to push on without Trevor, but to see Boston college just light up Clemson's defense. First two drives, they go tempo, they take some shots. All of a sudden they've, they've scored two touchdowns in the first two drives. We're just not used to seeing Brent Venables' defense really look vulnerable like it did on Saturday. And so that was, I think, after the initial shock of Trevor set in, you're sitting there watching that game like, whoa, Boston College is, A, probably better than people are giving them credit for and are a really good team. But B, this Clemson defense got – carved up pretty fast uh, before they obviously made some adjustments at halftime. Now it was a little bit fluky. Uh, it was 14, seven Clemson's about to go in for a touchdown and they mess up the handoff. I don't know if that was on uh Uyunglele or if it was on ETN uh, necessarily with the fumble, but Boston college returns at 97 yards for a touchdown, pretty big turning point in the, the game. They're all of a sudden it's 21 to seven. Uh, it was an 18 point lead at halftime. Uh, what is the mood in the stadium at halftime? I know you asked Uyunglele afterwards. He's like, 18 points is not that big of a deal. And he was like sipping on a straw in a cup. <laughs> like like the, the poise and the calm when he's saying that. I, I have to imagine within the stadium, Clemson fans are not quite thinking, oh, this is no big deal. 
For sure. I mean, obviously the stadium's quieter than usual because there's 19,000 people there instead of 80. But um, after that touchdown, after the fumble, I mean, it pretty it pretty much went silent. And I think at that point, um, a little bit of panic is about to, to set in. And I know that Dabo had said that he told them at halftime not to flinch and that, yeah, I don't know behind the scenes, you know, how they were actually feeling. DJ was extremely calm. As you mentioned, he told us afterwards that you know, I think he said, well, I, I've been down 25 before you know, after halftime. So this is not a big deal. I'm like, OK, <laughs> um, but this is a fan base that is just not really used to panicking hardly ever. So definitely a, a different feeling for them as they were watching all of this unfold in person. Uh, I'm sure when he was down 25, it wasn't against an ACC opponent <laughs> with, with a right. national title season sort of hanging. I don't want to say in the balance because they, they could probably lose and still recover. But I mean, that pretty big spot for this kid. Uh, we should talk about Uyunglele, and I'm going to keep saying his name because I learned how to pronounce it. That's I'm really very good. proud yeah. of that. That's uh, like you're the you have the best first pronunciation I've heard. Most people, I feel like, struggle a little bit at first. Well, I had to, I had to master Matuapuaka for Virginia tech for over the years. Uh, and it was always fun to listen to like PA announcers trip up on that wherever we go somewhere. So, uh, we uh, he, he throws for three forty two, two touchdowns. He runs for another touchdown. I think a lot of people thought like, Oh man, once Trevor Lawrence is gone from the Clemson, maybe they come back to earth a little bit in this conference. And they bring in this guy who's, you know, six, four, two fifty. He's, he's a monster. He's a five-star guy. He's a true freshman. Uh, you hope that if you're an opponent of them, you hope that, Hey, maybe he's just not experienced enough and he can't step in and do it right away. It's going to take some learning curve to get it done. He steps in there right away and he has this phenomenal game and he's poised and he does everything right. Uh, how impressed were you by how he played? Uh, I know he played previously uh, to this, uh, like 52 snaps or something mm -hmm. like that, but uh, not in this kind of role where it really counts. Yeah, I think that was the most impressive part of the whole thing was just, you're right, he had played 52 snaps before Saturday. He didn't play at all against Georgia Tech. He was dealing with some soreness, and Clemson wanted to hold him. And, you know, when, when DJ got on campus as an early enrollee, we start hearing these comparisons to Trevor, to Deshaun, just in terms of processing and able to pick up the offense really quickly. Uh, but we didn't see that. You know, we didn't have a spring game to watch him. Spring practice got... Uh, cut short and so no one really we've heard about DJ's arm and this you know big cannon that he has but again he starts to get in as the backup Clemson's up by you know 100 points they're not really airing it out with him so I think there was just a lot on the table that everyone wanted to see like all right what is this kid's story just how how good is he um but yeah I thought the I thought his poise was was the best part I mean you're looking at the first drive he he picks up that blitz and and gets rid of the ball and Travis scores a 35 yard touchdown and it just shows how well he processes things. And I just think he was not rattled at all. I mean, I just think whatever it is about his vibe that just allows him to be so chill. Uh, he, he carried it right into Saturday. No problem. I, I mentioned, you know, he's sipping on the drink afterwards when he's saying this <laughs> stuff. Did I read correctly? He's had his dad blocked on Twitter for like a couple years. Yes. Now? <laughs> yes. Like his... that takes some stones as a player to do that to your parent, right? His, his dad, big Dave, um, he just, yeah, he said he's had his dad blocked since about his sophomore year because his dad just really likes to share articles and be on Twitter and all this stuff. And I'm sure you saw the broadcast showed him a lot during that game. I mean, their family is super close knit and his dad has an amazing personality. He has a very big personality. But yeah, DJ had said, I think since since 10th grade, just go ahead and block him out so that uh, he's not getting too caught up in everything that his dad is sharing online. 
Now, Uyunglele did this with one practice and one walkthrough before he played. Uh, he'll have a full week of preparation now before Notre Dame. First of all, how smart was that of, of Dabo to just come out and just definitively say Trevor's not playing at Notre Dame? And I know the medical things probably necessitated it because he has to come back. He has to clear some hurdles. But I think when we everybody first heard the news, they're calculated. Ah, what's 10 days? And then what can he do? Can he like run on a treadmill and prove that he's okay and get the EKG thing in time? Uh, it seems like it was, it was smart of Dabo to just come out and say, he's not playing in this game. Uyunglele is the starter and then just go ahead because then you can prepare for the game that way. I thought it, yeah, I thought that was the right move for a couple of reasons. Number one being that you're right, because Trevor has to go through this cardiac evaluation. He's just, he's not, the, the protocol doesn't allow him to play. Like he wouldn't, he doesn't have time to go through this evaluation. I think his isolation, depending on when his symptoms would have started, his isolation, I think, ends Friday. Um, so just looking at him doing this whole cardiac thing in, in 24 hours and then throwing him out there to play a game against a, a really good team or really any college Division One football team after not practicing for 10 days, it just doesn't really add up. Um, but I think what was super smart on Dabo's part was that a, by shutting it down immediately, he doesn't have to answer these questions all week. Clemson's not dealing with these, is, is Trevor playing, is Trevor not playing distractions? And B, I think that it builds a lot of confidence in DJ. You know, you have your head coach coming out saying, Trevor's not going to play. This is our freshman quarterback. I think that builds some belief in him about, hey, this week is going to be about DJ. It's going to be about this Clemson team going on the road, this true freshman playing in the biggest game of his career. And I think you get rid of all of the outside hub and all the outside noise that would have come from every single day. Yes or no, yes or no, yes or no. And you just say, this is the plan. Um, I think that gives your team some confidence and gets rid of those distractions. Well, Clemson has an open week after Notre Dame this week. So plenty of time for Trevor Lawrence to, to get back in the fold if, if everything's all right and, and proceed with his season. Let's turn to this game, this uh, Titanic matchup here. Uh, you know, I I'm kind of disappointed that Notre Dame has artificial turf in its stadium. Cause I always miss when they would like grow it up to like four inches or whatever. Like I'm curious <laughs> if they have like a special brand of four inch artificial turf that they're going to put on the field to maybe just kind of slow things down. I always love that little bit of gamesmanship. Uh, just starting off, what is sort of your 10,000 foot view of this game coming up? I think the first thing is obviously everyone has been talking about Trevor, but um, equally as important is Clemson has had some injuries on the defensive side that I think could really make or break this game. And at the time that we're recording this podcast, we don't know what the status of defensive tackle Tyler Davis and linebacker Mike Jones Jr. is going to be. And that's something that Davos Sweeney had said this week, he might've had a little bit better of an idea had Clemson practiced on Tuesday. Obviously they did not because of election day. Um, but Clemson is definitively going to be without James Skowski, who is the heart and soul of their defense, redshirt graduate middle linebacker. That was already a huge hit. Um, and I think if you're going to Notre Dame without Tyler Davis and or Mike Jones Jr. available to play, that's a pretty big storyline that is uh, going to really cause some, uh, some, some early strain for this defense with those two guys playing as big a role as that they do. And Clemson will also be without Xavier Thomas, correct? Defensive tackle uh, ejected for targeting in the second half last week. He has to sit out the first half of this week. Uh, that's interesting, uh, missing that many guys. And, and you mentioned Skalski is sort of the, the heart and soul of that group. Um, what, do you what do they miss the most with that? I mean, is he purely from a motivational type thing, or is there something he does really well on the field as well that uh, just kind of gets that defense going? 
I think it's both. I mean, I think the big thing was, I mean, Skowski, even Dabo Sweeney had, had joked, sort of joked, halfway joked, however you want to say it, this, this spring about how there were times he considered pulling Skowski off the field just for the sake of fairness. Like they were just trying to get people evaluated and, you know, get people introduced to this system. And Skowski was just so far ahead of everyone that they joked, okay, maybe we should just make him sit out for a second. Um, but just from a leadership standpoint, yeah, I mean, he is he, he's the heart and soul of, of the locker room. And I think it was Nolan Turner, who's his roommate, was just saying there's just kind of a security blanket when Skowski's on the field. You just kind of you just feel his presence. You know, he's there. You know, he's got everyone in line. You know, he's kind of quarterbacking that defense. Um, and then he and Davis both are, are really important in stopping the run. And Clemson's been Clemson has had some success with that. And I think that's what I'm most interested in with Notre Dame. Cause we know that, you know, the, the passing offense for Notre Dame has had some issues. Um, so I think that's going to be an important matchup, but yeah, Skowski's just, uh, he's just kind of the glue, you know, he's just one of those guys. I looked at the stats in that Boston college game and, you know, Clemson still only gave up 275 yards in that game, 67 rushing, no points in the second half. Uh, I believe they had a couple of interceptions wiped out by penalties. Is that right? Yes. Uh, they did. It seemed like they were very close to a, a still a pretty good performance. And obviously Boston college scored on that fumble return as well. So that makes the, the point total look a little bit differently. Uh, some big plays though, that the Eagles still hit on. And that's, I don't want to say it's like an issue for Clemson, but it's an issue relative to other issues <laughs> that they have on that defense. Maybe not an issue for a regular team, but for a team like Clemson, it seems like maybe they've given up a few more points like that. Uh, Notre Dame's not really a team that hits you with big passing plays. That's been sort of a, a, a point that they've had to improve this whole year. But how concerning are, are some of the big plays that Clemson has given up this year? It's, it's not what we're used to seeing, you know, and, and Brent Venables, obviously he's a guy who's just wired so meticulously and he's such an intense guy that, you know, he was saying, I think this maybe last week that anytime they give up any big plays, it's never okay. You know, and after, I'm sure you saw after the Syracuse game, Clemson gave up an 83 yard touchdown reception and he had said he was going to go home and punch himself in the face for the call that he put Clemson in. Um, so we, but we have seen some, you're right. We've seen some uncharacteristic big chunk plays, the 83 yarder with Syracuse and then, uh, Phil Dracovic with Boston college. I mean, of his 12 completions, nine of them went for double digit yardage. He hit a 35 yarder in the opening drive, I think 48, maybe 42 in the second drive. Um, so that's something that they're going to need to get worked out, not just, you know, this weekend, but heading into the, the rest of the season. But yeah, I'm sure you've, chatted with Pete Sampson, our Notre Dame writer about Notre Dame's passing offense and kind of the, the struggles going on there. When Venable says he's going to punch himself in the face, <laughs> like normally when you hear a coach say that, you'd be like, oh, he's being facetious. Like right. I actually believe that he might go home and, like, and punch himself in the himself. face like that. Uh, he didn't would, laugh. Like, he, you know, you know how some people are like, <laughs> oh, oh, I'm joking. He like just kind of smirked a little bit. <laughs> how interested are you in seeing what Ian Book can do for Notre Dame. This is a guy that's been around uh, forever. It seems like, like he seems like he's like a 12th year senior and, you know, I guess he can come back next year if he really wants to, there's no eligibility issue this year. Uh, I, I feel like Notre Dame fans sort of have this love hate relationship with him. where like, They're always <laughs> complaining about him, but the guy just like keeps winning. It's like, what, what are you complaining about all these wins? Uh, I don't know how much you've seen of Notre Dame this year, but what is your sort of a view on, on book and, and how he plays? 
I'm interested to see him. And, and that was something that Dabo was talking about this past week was just, you know, he kind of compared Ian a little bit to Trevor Lawrence. Obviously we know Trevor is the Heisman front runner is going to be the number one pick. So they're, they're two different quarterbacks in that sense, but just how the game has slowed down for him and how he's got so much experience now and how, you know, this is a, a team that, is used to him and he just has improved with every single year that's passed. And so obviously, you know, the last time that Clemson saw Ian was in this 2018 cotton bowl, which feels like a hundred years ago at this point. <laughs> um, so he's going to be a different quarterback than, than what they saw the first time. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to see him. I'm, I'm interested to see how much progress he's made. Obviously the, the Clemson defense that he got the first time around was like one of the greatest defenses ever. Um, that was the year that the the D line had Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence and um, Cleveland Farrell, Austin Bryant, those guys. So I think that's what I'm most interested to see is just I, I know that I know we've read about the struggles and we've kind of seen what's going on with the passing offense, but just how much progress has he made against a team that a he's seen before and b is is maybe built a little bit differently than the first time around he saw them. We're close to 20 minutes in. I haven't really mentioned Travis Etienne yet. This is maybe <laughs> the story of his career, like the least talked about uh, two-time ACC player of the year, uh, all-time leading rusher in ACC history. Uh, you know, he just kind of quietly breaks that in the middle of this game where that's obviously not the focus because they're trying to come back and win this game. And Uyunga is, is the, the, you know, the story because he's the quarterback in that game. Uh, how interesting was that to see him break that record? It was just kind of in the flow of the game. It didn't feel like they made a big deal out of it or anything. It was super bizarre when I look back on it because you're right. This was a huge deal and it was like probably the 10th most important thing that happened that day. And it happened right as the third quarter was ending. So he did get a nice standing ovation from the crowd. And there was this moment and Dabo gave him a big hug, but um, as Travis himself said after the game was over, Clemson was still losing at that point. So um, there wasn't, you know, let's have this huge hunky dory celebration. Um, he did say that they had, that there was a little motivation about, okay, we can't break a record like this now and then walk home with an L. Um, but yeah, it felt like something that maybe afterwards they were a little more reflective on. But in the moment, it just, it was kind of weird that this was such a big deal, a 42 year old record. And it was just kind of like, okay, what's next? <laughs> They should have like printed out a piece of paper and handed it to him. I, I think the NFL did that with Drew Brees when he like broke the passing record. It's like, what, what am I going to do with this laminated sheet of right. <laughs> So Such a ridiculous thing to pass out. Uh, I think that the Clemson running game against Notre Dame's rushing defense is a really interesting part of this game because Notre Dame uh, stopping the run as, as well as anybody in the country. They're eighth nationally. Uh, let's see here, giving up. 93 let's say 93 yards a game that's pretty good uh Clemson's sort of around in that range too uh what do you see from this running game for Clemson I, I know the offensive line is maybe still kind of a little bit of a work in progress there how have they fared so far yeah it's interesting when you talk about this offensive line because there was a time earlier this season when Dabo Sweeney was saying this first team offensive line is playing as well as any unit that he's ever had and he's had some pretty solid offensive lines and so when you talk to Clemson they're very optimistic about it, but they have had to answer some questions about run blocking and about getting things going. And so I think we all knew after the Trevor Lawrence news that Travis's workload would probably be increased heading into Boston College. And it was he went from, I think, 13.8 carries is what he had been averaging to 20 that game. And then obviously they got him really involved in the passing game. 
Um, but that's something that I'm watching too. I mean, Travis is a guy like he doesn't, he doesn't need a lot of room. He's so effective after contact. You really just have to give him a little bit and he can, you know, take the rest from there. But that's something that I think we're not at the point now where those questions are going to go away. Clemson's offensive line hasn't convinced me yet that, okay, this is all buttoned up and we can stop asking about this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I think one of the impressive things about Uyunglele's performance last week is he had missing a lot of receivers in that game. Uh, Frank Ladson Jr. has been nicked up, I think, right? And, and Joseph N- N- Ngata. Mm-hmm. Is that how you said that one? Ngata? Ngata, uh, yeah. He's out. And obviously, Justin Ross out for the year with a spinal issue. Uh, not a lot of tall receivers. I, I think I read that the tallest receiver out there was six foot one. That's, that's kind of not what you imagine uh, from a Clemson receiving core. Uh, what is this group like? What is this group capable of? Is this maybe uh, a surprisingly uh, weak spot for this offense right now? It is weird. I mean, just knowing Clemson and the pedigree of wide receiver, you just, they, they just haven't, they don't look how they typically do on the perimeter. And obviously they thought they would have Justin Ross before everything happened this off season. But yeah, that's something that I think is so important that we keep watching down the stretch. And Gata is a guy that I don't, I can say with confidence, I've never heard Dabo Sweeney rave about someone like he raves about in Gata who had a, a pretty quiet freshman year and then got this abdominal strain in September and he just hasn't been able to fully practice each week. And so every week it seems like Clemson's kind of crossing their fingers that this will be the week. And then so far that hasn't happened. So I just, I feel like there's a lot of questions on Ngata because Dabo's obviously seen something that none of us have seen. Um, so I'm interested to see kind of where he is this week injury wise. Frank is a guy that he had a hip pointer injury last week. He was out Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Just wasn't ready to play Saturday. Clemson thinks they will get him back for Notre Dame, which I think will be important. He's a speed guy. He's the fastest receiver they have. Uh, But he struggles with drops, and that's something that we don't see a lot at Clemson. Um, We don't really see wide receivers dropping the ball. So, yeah, I mean, Saturday was weird. Their tallest receiver, you're right, it was 6-1, and it was Brandon Spector in the slot. They put Amari Rogers and Cornell Powell out on the outside. And they've been really good and they helped DJ out a lot. Uh, But just the length that we're used to seeing from Clemson has not been consistently showing up this season. Yeah, that'll be an interesting match. I mean, you know, Kyle Hamilton, a real standout safety for Notre Dame. Uh, always enjoy watching him play. He's just such a good player. Uh, I think that'll be an interesting sort of matchup to watch the secondary against those receivers. Uh, we hear Dabo Sweeney all the time, and it's always like, oh, little old Clemson doing this. And, you know, he always is coming up with ways to try to motivate team, his team. Is this sort of a dream scenario for him that, you know, they're coming off a win that they struggled in before this just monumental game that they have up that everybody's paying attention to. I feel like this team is one that when the lights are the brightest, they show up, they get this team ready to play. Uh, is Dabo's job been made? A, I mean, I don't want to say easier because he's missing as his starting quarterback, but the fact that they won a really tight game and maybe got a bit of a wake up call last week, does that help this week? 
I think so. I mean, just traditionally, Clemson seems to pound people the next week when they have to answer questions the week before. And obviously, this past week was not the traditional, oh, they looked sluggish or you know, low energy. I mean, they just were dealing with a million injuries and, and their quarter, their quarterback being one of them. But yeah, I mean, Clemson and this, this surprised me. I mean, when Clemson goes to Notre Dame this week, they're looking for their highest ranked road win in school history. Um, They don't have a road win against an AP top five opponent ever. And so I think that it doesn't really take much for Dabo to get them up for this one. I mean, this is a place that a lot of his players are excited to go and, you know, um, he, he was saying yesterday or, or Tuesday, whatever day it was, they're all running. <laughs> they're all running together at this point about how, you know, they've been banged up, but no one really cares. And I think he understands Clemson has arrived at the point now where they're a national powerhouse and they're expected to get up for these games. And so I, I don't expect him to have any issues with motivation this week. What do you think of his theory uh, about Clemson is that the big games aren't the ones that you would really expect a a loss to happen in Uh, the ones, you know, the ones they see coming are not where they really have problems. It's when they, you know, Pitt comes out of nowhere. Uh, NC state almost came out of nowhere a couple of years ago. If not for that missed field goal, Syracuse out of nowhere, Uh, Boston college last week gave them a little bit of a scare. Uh, Where do, what do you think of the theory that like when Clemson (laughs) sees the coming that, you know, the train's coming right ahead. That's when it, when they, you get sideswiped by something else, that's maybe when they would actually lose a game. I mean, when you add it up like that, it, it makes sense. You know, North Carolina last year was a team they weren't supposed to struggle with, and then they walk out of there with a, a one-point win. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I just think that Clemson, they are so used to playing these big games now between ACC championships and the college football playoff. And, you know, they've been in the, in the playoff every year since 2015. I think that they're just so used to it that – they really do know how to get up for these big games and that's not ever a problem. But then you're right. Sometimes they do seem to struggle against people that they're supposed to crush. So um, I don't know, like I'd be curious to go through the losses over the years or the quote struggles over the years and like tally a big game versus opponent you were supposed to destroy. Well, let me wrap it up with this. Does this game matter? I mean, I know it ma- like it, it <laughs> matters, but will it matter in terms of the college football playoff? Because, uh, you know, Clemson could lose this game, conceivably come back and win the ACC championship anyway. You know, if they went out and then come back and presumably beat Notre Dame in the ACC title game, they would get into the college football playoff. At the same time, they're, they're playing with their backup quarterback. Everybody knows that. Uh, they have an, an excellent quarterback who's the normal starting quarterback. And I think the committee is going to factor that in when they're picking teams at the end of the year. They treat it kind of like an injury. That's That's been the case with Clemson before, a couple of years ago with Kelly Bryant when he was hurt in that Syracuse game. So uh, I know this is a big game and we have it circled on the calendar, but how big of a game is it really if, <laughs> if, if you sort of have this uh, you know mulligan in your back pocket? Right, right. I mean, it, it's a good point. I think that Clemson... Like you said, if they go up and they lose to Notre Dame without their starting quarterback, without their starting middle linebacker, uh, maybe without their starting defensive tackle to the number four team in the country on the road, and then they win out and they beat that same team in the conference championship and they're a one-loss conference champion, I don't see any way how they don't get in. I mean, you're right. The the, the committee has told us they're treating COVID-19 like they would injuries, Um, I think Clemson's in a really good spot right now. Obviously they feel like they always want to control, you know, their own destiny. And the best way to do that is to win. 
Um, but I just, I don't see any way that they're not in the playoff if they're a one loss conference champion team first and they, and they beat Notre Dame who would have given them their one loss. Yeah. It'll be really interesting. I actually think this is a year where the ACC with as good as Notre Dame is and that, that opportunity for a rematch between Notre Dame and Clemson, if it comes to that, uh, it could maybe be a year where they could get two into the playoff. Cause I mean, who, who knows how many games the big 10 is going to play. Right. Uh, you, you would assume Ohio state, probably the best team there coming out of it. Alabama's running away with in the SEC. I mean, Pac-12 hasn't even started yet. Big 12's right. beating up on each other. No, nobody gives any respect to Cincinnati <laughs> and BYU out there. So it, it might be a possibility uh, that they, they could do that. That could be something to watch. Uh, finish with this. How, how do you see this game playing out? What's your, what do you think will happen? So I don't, I mean, I don't think I'm going to be surprised either way. I will be surprised if it's a blowout either way. That, that I think will surprise me. But I don't think I will be surprised with either victor in in this point i think these are two really good teams and obviously the best teams that each other will see clemson seems to figure out how to get things done and i'm inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt just because i've seen them do it so many times and and i know now we've seen dj you know he's he's got obviously it's just one game but it it was a pretty convincing one game um so i i I don't i i think i tend to lean clemson here but I don't, I don't really know. I'm kind of rambling at this point. I don't know. I, what do you think? I like Clemson and I like Clemson to cover. I, I maybe would have not said that until seeing Uyunglele play last sure. week. And yeah. now that I've seen him, I'm like, I mean, where's the drop off? What, right. what like <laughs> it does get the Clemson defense missing some pieces. That does concern me a little bit if I'm uh, betting on the Tigers there, but I just think, uh, you know, you replace the quarterback at such an important spot and he's so poised, it seems. And right. he just doesn't, you know, he's just another guy that's going to go out there and, and put up big numbers. Uh, and I do like, I do think that Dabo gets this team up for big games and they have in the past. So um, I'd expect it to happen again. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a safe bet. Well, Grace, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. We're gonna keep we're gonna keep bringing you back as Clemson's gonna keep playing in these huge <laughs> games. Uh, so we love having you on there. Everybody should go follow Grace on Twitter at uh, GM Rainer. Uh, subscribe to the Athletic too and read her stuff. That's one of the best things. Like we have all these great national writers, and then Grace is like a pseudo national writer because you cover for <laughs> a team that plays in such nationally relevant stuff. Like you're, you're a team beat writer, but you write so much stuff that has a national appeal to it. So uh, we really appreciate that. Uh, Grace, I look forward to your covers this week and thanks for coming on the pod. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to next time. Okay. Thank you to Grace for coming on the pod. I uh, really enjoy it when she stops by, gives us her insight on Clemson. Nobody knows Clemson uh, better than Grace does. Uh, remember, if you want to read all of Grace's stuff, you can subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, go to theathletic.com slash pod. We have a deal going on. It's $1 a week. That's a pretty good deal. I mean, when you think about what you spend $1 a week on at uh, McDonald's or whatever it is on the, the value meal there, uh, that's all it costs a week to get all the great coverage on the athletic, every sport. It's not just college football. It's not just one team. It's every sport across the site. Uh, you can listen to this podcast ad free there as well. Let's go around the rest of the ACC. Uh, we don't just want to stick to one game here. We want to hit on everybody else in the ACC. There's a couple games this week, uh, I think, that stand out to me. Uh, Let's start out number 11, Miami at NC State. Uh, Hurricanes are 10.5-point favorites in that game. I feel like this is sort of a show-me-what-you-got situation for Miami. Uh, I know they're 5-1. and I look at the wins that they've had. UAB, Louisville, Louisville team that struggled this year. Florida State has obviously struggled. Pitt, 
didn't have its quarterback has kind of gone in the tank recently. Uh, UVA, which is maybe the best win out of that group all of a sudden. UVA beating UNC at home. Uh, Miami didn't exactly overwhelm in that game, a 19-14 to 14 win uh, a week and a half ago when they were playing down there in South Florida. Uh, I just think this is a game that, you know, Miami's going on the road up to NC State. And I know this year, you know, going on the road isn't like going into a hostile territory or anything like that with all these screaming fans. And maybe this would be a more difficult game if that were the case. But uh, road teams have not fared so well in the ACC this year. Uh, I'll go to my pal David Teal from the Times-Dispatch. He looked up this stat. Uh, ACC home teams this year, 30-13. and 13. Uh, 697 winning percentage from 2015 to 2019 they had a 539 winning percentage uh, so maybe that's just a small sample size maybe there's something more to it this year about going on the road and the pandemic and you know how careful you have to be with all that stuff I don't know if it's just a comfort thing for some of these teams or what it is but uh, just have not seemed to play as well on the road so I, I'm curious to see how these hurricanes go up there and play they've, they've gone on the road twice this year they had a somewhat close a close-ish win i would say at louisville i mean they still won uh that game by a comfortable margin but it's not like they just completely blew out the cardinals and then the loss at clemson which i'm not gonna fault anybody for a loss at clemson that is a game that uh, everybody seems to lose but i look at the rest of the schedule with the hurricanes here and it, it ramps up here pretty quick nc state this week at virginia tech versus georgia tech at home uh i wouldn't say that's a game they should lose but somehow miami lost that game last year at home inexplicably against that that yellow jackets team i don't really understand it uh then at wake forest suddenly uh pretty respectable wake forest and then unc to finish the season uh i think if miami truly thinks it's going to be a team that could get into that second spot in the acc uh, and play in the ACC title game, then it has to go out and handle its business this week at NC State uh, because there are tougher games that remain on the schedule after this. Looking at NC State, no Devin Leary again. I feel like that's a really big deal uh, for the Wolfpack. It, it felt like they were trying, they were kind of figuring something out when he was uh, under center there. Uh, Bailey Hockman will start. It looks like Ben Finley might play this week. He played a little bit last week or two weeks ago, I should say, at UNC. Uh, that was a real letdown loss, I think, for the Wolfpack. 48-21 uh, to the Tar Heels in a rivalry game like that. It's, it's normally a game that's pretty close or kind of strange when those two teams play there. Uh, I just wonder if this NC State team is not quite the same uh, without Leary running the offense. But this will be an interesting one. Uh, I think that the Canes going on the road here, uh, just uh, anytime you go on the road this year, I think it's an interesting game and it's sort of a, a metal tester or for, for some of these programs, especially a team like Miami that, you know, see whether they can get into the up, upper echelon of the ACC or if they belong sort of middle of the pack with, uh, you know, Virginia Tech's, UNC's, Wake Forest of the world. Second game, the game I'll be covering this weekend, number 25, Liberty. That's not a typo at Virginia Tech. The Hokies are 14.5-point favorites in this game against the ranked team that's coming into Lane Stadium. Uh, I said that is not a typo with Liberty. 6-0, the 6-0 Flames under Hugh Freeze. Uh, pretty surprising start. Uh, then I look at who they've beaten, and I say maybe it's not that surprising of a start. They have beaten Western Kentucky. Florida International, North Alabama, Louisiana Monroe, Syracuse, and Southern Miss. Those teams are a combined 4-28, and 28, and Liberty has somehow gotten into the polls uh, by beating these six teams like that. Uh, consider me a little bit skeptical 
of the flames fast start. I think people maybe kind of, you know, dive into the story of, Oh, Liberty's unbeaten six and Oh, uh, Hugh freeze redemption tour here. I think you look a little bit closer at who they've beaten. And maybe that's not as impressive of a resume as we're making out to be case in point. They go up and they beat Syracuse by 17 points, a monumental win for the program, 38 to 21, uh, you know, going on the road and beating an ACC team like that. And I think that kind of got everybody on Liberty on everybody's radar, at least. Well, Wake Forest just went up there last week and won 38 to 14 and nobody cared. <laughs> nobody was throwing a parade or anything like that for the Deacons, who I think are a pretty good team. And I look at the the AP poll and I see Liberty at number 25 and then all the way at the bottom of the others receiving votes category is Wake Forest with like six votes or something like that. Uh, I would maybe flip those two teams if I were ranking them. I think this might normally be a trap game for Virginia Tech. Uh, They've got Miami next week. Uh, You would normally think that they would be looking ahead to that type of game. But with Liberty coming in with that ranking in front of its name, I think you're going to get a very focused Hokies team in this game. I mean, this is one that, you know, you don't want to lose to a team that's uh, you you consider below yourself in the states or the Commonwealth, I should say, pecking order here in Virginia. Uh, Virginia Tech has done that before. The famous loss to James Madison in 2010, uh, the loss to Old Dominion a couple years ago. It is an embarrassing moment for a program of Virginia Tech stature to do that. So uh, I think they will be motivated to avoid sort of that infamy of losing a game like this as a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. But the fact that Liberty is ranked as well, I mean, this is an opportunity to beat a ranked team. I think that uh, motivates uh, a segment of a roster, and I, I think you should see a, a pretty good Virginia Tech team out there. Interesting matchup in this one, Liberty quarterback Malik Willis. He's a former Virginia Tech commitment. Uh, you know, he was committed as an athlete, decommitted uh, when the Hokies were playing Arkansas in the Belt Bowl. Uh, a couple years ago, wanted to play quarterback, uh, committed to Auburn. Things did not work out there. He ended up transferring to Liberty. Uh, he has had a very good season, dual threat guy. Most scrambling yards in the country right now. It has been very effective in that Hugh Freeze offense, which can, which can go tempo like that. Uh, you know, mobile quarterbacks have given the Hokies trouble over the years. And, and Malik Cunningham last week at Louisville put up a ton of yards. Uh, didn't get the win and had three turnovers in that game, but put up a ton of yards on that Hokies defense. Uh, on the flip side, Virginia Tech does not have a slouch of an offense. Tenth in yards per game, or yards per play, I should say, uh, nationally at 7.02. 18th in the country at 37.7 points per game. This is not what you would typically think of a Virginia Tech offense. They've really flipped the script there, uh, can score with anybody in the country. So uh, I think you could see a pretty high-scoring game in Lane Stadium on Saturday. I, I do like Virginia Tech to win that one, and, and pretty comfortably, though, just because I, I don't think I'm quite buying uh, what Liberty is selling at this point. Third game I wanted to take a look at, North Carolina at Duke. Uh, this is not really a game that on paper you'd say, oh, that's a, that's a tight matchup. And sure enough, the Tar Heels are 11 and a half point favorites in this one. But uh, this is a rivalry game, and it has been close in recent years. Three of the last four games decided by a touchdown or less. Uh, last year's game came right down to the end zone. 20-17, UNC pulled it out when Chaz Surratt uh, intercepted a pass in the end zone. Duke tried that little jump pass with the running back, and the running back just almost threw it like straight <laughs> into Jazz Surratt's chest. Uh, very uh, curious play in the final seconds, I would say. Uh, Duke has won three of the last four. UNC won last year. Duke obviously not in a, a great spot this year, but I feel like North Carolina, I, I feel like they kind of blew it 
honestly, I, I thought they were all lined up to be in line for possibly making the ACC title game. They didn't play Clemson this year. They get Notre Dame at home. They caught Virginia Tech at a time when it didn't have any safeties. Uh, it really just ran all over them. Uh, Virginia Tech was helpless defensively in that game. And then they go out and they lose to Florida State on the road. And they lose to UVA on the road. I know UVA got Brennan Armstrong back, and that's an offense that's a lot more formidable when he's in the game. But, uh, man, I just don't feel like that's a game UNC should lose. Um, I, I watched part of the highlights on that after I got back from covering my game last week. Uh, this UNC offense is very good, and it puts up tons of yards, but it just does inexplicable things sometimes. Uh, they, they had a fumble that, that Howell had. They they lost the ball right before halftime when they're down there at the two-yard line. I think it was sort of a swing pass that went backward, uh, considered a, a fumble, and didn't have any timeouts. They couldn't score there. Uh, just seems like they can't get out of their own way sometimes, uh, either with those kind of turnovers or defensively giving up tons of stuff. They, they knew the fake punt was coming at the end of that game they had it all called out and it seemed like they were lined up and uh the you know, defenders just kind of slipped and the the uva guy uh, keaton thompson made a play and, and got the first down otherwise might be talking about a, a a great win that unc pulled out there but uh there's just something about these tar heels that i i, I just don't trust at this point and it seems like anytime you put some trust in them they go and they lose a game that maybe uh they should not uh again going on the road this week duke uh like i mentioned not a not a world beater right now. They did beat Charlotte last week. Uh, but if, if they were going to show any signs of life, I feel like this would have to be, be the week. They've typically shown up in, in a rivalry game like this. Uh, I, I think I saw Joe Giglio mention that every team plays a Super Bowl. For Duke, this is, is probably it. That doesn't mean they're going to win, but it, I think they should get their best effort out there, especially coming off a game where they, they kind of got a little bit going against a lesser opponent like Charlotte. Uh, rest of the league, not too many games that stand out to me here. Boston College, 14-point favorite over Syracuse. Uh, I like BC in that game. I think Syracuse just might be cooked at this point this year. Uh, Pitt at Florida State. Florida State actually one-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. I'm curious what happens to Pitt at this point. Uh, Paris Ford opted out last week. Their star safety. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be the star of the trend, but that's a pretty big uh, guy to lose on the back end of the defense. And that's been a, a team that just hasn't looked the same uh, the last couple of weeks with Kenny Pickett out on offense at quarterback. The other game, Louisville at Virginia, that one actually kind of intrigues me a little bit. I just saw Louisville last week. I'm kind of amazed that, that team is 2-5, uh, and five, I think is their record this year, uh, that they've struggled that much. That offense is legit, and they have legit speed and talent at those important positions. They just can't stop anybody defensively, and I think uh, Virginia getting Brennan Armstrong back last week looks a lot different uh, than it had uh, when he was out of that game. So uh, that should be an interesting one to watch there as well. I, I know the Wahoos there are, are pretty tough out at home at times. That's going to do it. We got through the whole thing. Glad you listened this far so you could listen to me uh, riff a little bit on all these other ACC teams, not just Clemson and Notre Dame, uh, although everybody's going to be watching that game. I'm glad I have a noon start this week. Uh, beat writers love noon starts because they don't care about – they don't have to worry about deadlines at the end of the day. But most importantly, I get to write it, get out of there, and come back and watch the games uh, at 7 o'clock. I'm a football fan as well as a football writer, so I really like being able to get back and watch those kind of games. Thanks to everybody for, for coming and listening to the show. Uh, we, we 
appreciate your, your ratings, your reviews on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to it. It helps us get the word out. Uh, we like that kind of feedback. Subscribe to The Athletic if you have not. You can listen to this podcast ad-free. Go to theathletic.com slash pod. You can subscribe for $1 a week. A pretty good deal. Think about what you spend a dollar on in a week. Uh, you can get all this great sports writing for that much. You can follow me at AndyBitterVT on Twitter. Like I said, I'll be covering the Liberty-Virginia Tech game this week, and then I will be eagerly watching the Clemson at Notre Dame game at night, just like everybody else. We'll come back next week. We'll wrap up that that Clemson-Notre Dame outcome and and, uh, talk about the whole full slate of ACC games the following week. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 